Welcome to Replant Bootcamp, the boots on the ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. 180 has just launched two new products that we think could really help your church. Stick around to the end of the podcast to hear more. Welcome to episode 23 of the Replant Bootcamp. Glad to have you with us. Bob, where in the world are you right now, Mr. World Traveler? <laughs> Man, I am in St. Louis. Okay, we're, we're, uh, It has been like 23 degrees uh, or so oh, today. Today we actually got up into the 30s and it's, it's, uh, it feels like a warm day. I think I'm going to put shorts on and walk around outside. It's close to 80 degrees here in the wonderful state of Florida. And so we have put our winter clothes away. Amazing. I'm <laughs> envious for sure. Man, uh, we've got a great guest coming up with us today, Keelan Cook. Keelan has put together uh, a really, really great resource that I use a lot when I am talking with churches and helping them engage their community missionally, uh, which is really Keelan's heart, is missional engagement. And he's put together a really great resource that I thought, you know, I think we just need to do a podcast episode on how to use this. And we really need to hear hear it from the horse's mouth himself. Keelan, tell us just a little bit about yourself, what you do in ministry, and why you came up with something like the Fourfield Panorama. Sure. Uh, yeah. So uh, as Jimbo said, name's Keelan Cook. I'm actually the associate director at the Union Baptist Association. Uh, we're here in Houston, uh, Texas, we're the, we're the Baptist Association for Houston. And uh, my job really is kind of uh, centered around helping our churches figure out what it means to fulfill the Great Commission together, right, in the city. So we've got 350 or so churches in our association. And how do they work together to fulfill the Great Commission? Well, one of the things that, and I don't have to convince anybody of this, uh, that's listening to this podcast, but one of the things that's kind of one of the major pillars for any North American missiology right now has to be this conversation about replanting and revitalization. And so a large portion of what we do at the association now is leaning into helping churches think through what does it look like for us to craft a replant strategy? How do we, how do we figure out what we need to do in concerns to church renewal in general? Uh, if it's healthy churches, how do we help other churches think about this? If it's churches that are in the process of thinking through maybe we should be replanted, how do they do that? Uh, so a big piece of what we do now lives in that replant lane and it's been an exciting opportunity for us because we've got some space to run with churches that, you know, historically we may not have been able to do too much with. But now they're opening up to this idea. And so that's really the genesis for uh, this panorama discovery uh, resource piece that we put together was how do we help a church think through what's best for the process of discovery so that they can do an implementation and replant that, that will be successful? You know, I remember hearing the fourfold panorama idea for the first time at the replant practitioner training a couple of years back. And man, we just could not stop talking about it because one of the realities for a church in decline is they, they get insular and they, they just lose connection with their community. Oftentimes they drive a great distance to come to their church because it was a church they started at and then moved out of the neighborhood. Right. So Keelan, man, this is an awesome resource for us to think about as replanters about how to reconnect with our community. So talk, talk us through some of the, the details of the first steps of thinking through how do you, how do you look at your community? Sure. Uh, yeah. So if you've got in general, when we, when we sit down and we 
start the process of discovery with a church. Cause that's kind of the way we talk about it. You're, you're in a discovery process, really any church for it to be on mission. There's kind of three things that it needs to, needs to consider in the vision that it's going to have for its area. One of those is the biblical mission. That's unchanging. It's a given. We don't get to decide what the biblical mission is. And it's the same for every church that's ever existed, but that's one of the three components. The other two components though, one of them is the congregation themselves, right? You are a unique congregation. You're made up of a different set of people than any other congregation in the world. And so there's stuff about you that is truly unique. And the third one is the context that the church exists in. If you're going to be on mission, you need to figure out how to take the biblical mission, the people that God has entrusted to you, and then engage the context in that biblical mission, those are kind of the three pillars of it, right? So a discovery process has to consider two of those three pieces. Uh, one of those is the church itself, and the other one is the context where the church is located. A lot of times, churches assume they understand one or the other. Uh, I'll have pastors that come to us that think they understand their context because they saw some kind of demographic report on it, or they think they just understand their church because they spend every Sunday in it. And they're interested in the other, but they don't realize that they probably have blind spots about both. And so what we're trying to do with this panorama resource is essentially say to churches, you, you need to take a deep dive at both the church itself, the makeup of the church, the systems of the church, the giftings and skills of the people in the church, and the context, the community, the neighborhood where you're located. And so what we want to do is we want to create really a grid where churches are thinking about both of those things. But they're not just thinking about them from one perspective. Uh, see, the fascinating thing about it is you've got to consider multiple perspectives on both of those two fields. So if you think of it as really having two fields we're looking at, we're looking at the internal field, we're looking at the external field for the church. But then we want to see multiple perspectives on each of those fields because that'll help us minimize blind spots. If I only, as an insider in the church, ask other insiders in the church what they think about the church, well, I'm going to have a pretty insular understanding of the church. Yeah, I like to say it's, it's kind of like being uh, nose blind. You ever gone over to somebody's house that has a whole lot of pets, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Like they've got um, like six cats, three dogs, a couple of chickens, and you go in and as soon as you walk in, you think, oh my goodness, like what is this smell? <laughs> And you may say like, hey, what, is, what am I smelling? And, and, and then they go, what do you mean? I, I, don't, I don't smell anything. <laughs> I become a little bit nose blind to, to the situation that identifies that. I was asked recently, I was in Lexington, South Carolina this last weekend with a partner church of ours. And I was asked, hey, if you had to nail down one reason why churches decline, just one, what, what would be the overall thing? And trying to think on my feet, but I, I think it's fairly accurate. I mean, obviously there's nuances and, it, and, and it's not the only reason churches decline. I thought, you know, it's probably that we put our own preferences as an organization over the purpose of missional engagement in our community. Yeah, that's a good word. Uh, and, 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 and that that nuances differently in a lot of different ways. But what I love about this panorama is it really makes it clear to you if the, if the activities of your church match the needs and the mission in the community. And that's really the goal of it there. Because once you've got a snapshot of the church from different perspectives, and you've got a snapshot of the community from different perspectives, it's when you get to see if those things line up well. Uh, and oftentimes you'll find out that they don't. Your church is perfectly positioned to reach the community maybe 20 years ago, 
but not the one that exists now. Uh, oftentimes, uh, I think we forget a context. Uh, this is true of inside the church or outside the church. Is not just a location. It's a moment in time. And so a community, if we're really engaging our context, we've got to think about where it is, but we also have to think about when it is as well. Uh, and so a church, we, we make a mistake if we think about a church in its context as a like a rock in a field. It's really more like something sitting in the middle of a stream because as time moves by, the community around us changes. Our context today is slightly different than it was yesterday. So is our church. And both of those things are dynamic. And because they're dynamic, we have to, we have to be able to keep them clear in our heads as to what they actually are. We make assumptions. We, we think that our church is the church that it was in 1980, or we think that our community is the community that it was in 1980. And we want it missing with uh, the work that we're trying to do. We may be trying to do lots of good things and just confused as to why it's really not seeming to gain any traction. We may be aiming at the wrong target without even realizing we're doing so. So in a practical way, that we're, we're talking a lot of great ideas and, and evaluative kind of a grid, all those sort of things. But how do we get down to the boots on the ground, information gathering, to understand who we are as a church, what the community's like? So if you're going to unpack it for us, if we as replanters said, you know what, we've got to understand ourselves and understand our community, what are some of the initial core actions that we would need to do in order to to understand those, those concepts? Great question. So how do we operationalize this, right? The, the way we've got the panor panorama laid out, it's essentially four portions. Uh, you're looking at church from the insider and the outsider perspective. You're looking at context from the insider and the outsider perspective. Uh, and so in each of those different areas that you're considering, uh, you're gonna have particular steps that help you get that viewpoint, that help you get that perspective. And so if we're talking church insider, that is somebody who is a member of your congregation, right? They're an insider to your church community. Coincidentally, uh, in a replant scenario, those are often community outsiders or context outsiders. Tends to be one of those grand ironies in, in church replanting is that your church insider is often not a community insider as well. But if I'm after that church insider position or that perspective, what I'm really asking is what do we as a church think about ourselves? How do we understand ourselves? Are we, uh, do we exhibit signs of vitality, signs of life as a church? Are we relationally vital? Are we missionally vital? Are we spiritually vital? Do we have any of these indicators and signs of church health? What do we think about ourselves as a group? All of those kind of questions are what you're after there. Uh, and so you're going to get at that information in a very different way than you're going to get at, say, context insider information. Uh, that that first block, that church insider is going to come through uh, perhaps surveys. It's going to come through looking at your uh, annual church profile. If your church has been doing one of those faithfully, you're going to have some snapshots year to year to year that you can look back at some of those things and start piecing some of those uh, different aspects together. So each of those four blocks, there's a different recipe, so to speak, of ways that uh, sources of information that can help you put together the portrait for that particular section. Yeah, so many times a small church or a declining church, a normative size church will say, we are a friendly, welcoming, warm and inviting group of folks here in this location. And then you have the one or two guests that will come and then during the greeting time, nobody really does anything other than shake their hand and then turn their back to them while they're talking to their friends. So yeah, let me ask, let me ask, cause you guys consult with local churches and you, you both have been doing that longer than I have. I have 
at this point, never, ever had a meeting with the church that has not said, we are the friendliest church in town. <laughs> I mean, I, I've never had that not said. Every single church I've ever met with says, oh, we're the friendliest church you'll ever encounter. I mean, is that is that just a Jacksonville, Florida thing, or does that happen in Texas and Missouri as well? I'd say that's a pretty standard uh, standard operating line, honestly. <laughs> we had, a, I'll tell you one real quick story out here. I've got a, a young pastor. He's out here in the area. He has started doing a renewal process in his church as well. In fact, they just voted to start kind of a discovery process. And uh, he got there under the auspices of the church hiring him to a church that was healthy. Story's familiar, I'm sure. And they had, they'd, you know, they'd talk to him about how welcoming they were. Oh, yeah, we're very involved in the community. We do a lot of things around here. He has been at that church now for uh, a couple of years. And one of the, one of the things he did recently, they, he finally got to a position where he was able to, to redo the sign out front. The next week after the sign's up, he had some new visitors uh, and this is not me saying that a sign automatically brings visitors in, but he had some new visitors that came and he asked them, so how did, how'd you guys think to come here? And they told him, they said, well, we've been living in this neighborhood for 10 years and we thought your church was closed. That's and uh, it's just a fascinating example to me of how a church can have an aspiration bias. We think we're what we wish we were. And so we feel like we're more welcoming than we actually are. We feel like we're more involved, more engaged than we actually are. That's not malice. It's not necessarily trying to be deceptive, but I speak to what I wish I was sometimes more than what I actually may be. And that's where that blind spot comes in, right? Yes. Yeah, right. so let me ask, in order to get past blind spots, if, if you were consulting my church to go through the four-field panorama, do I do this by myself as the pastor? Or if I involve other church members in the process, who do you, re- I mean, like kind of first steps, where would I go from here? If I'm listening to this podcast and I go, man, we should probably do that. I mean, do I just read it and I just start doing it? Do I build a team? What would be some of the best next steps for me to take as a local pastor? Stellar question. So in my estimation, here's how we do it here. Uh, You can use it, of course, in different ways. But what we found to be most effective, uh, I don't think a pastor should try to do it by himself uh, because then he's going to turn around and whatever he finds, convince everybody else. Instead, uh, pull the church along with you. Uh, We usually here at the association come alongside a church and help them come up with some key leaders, key decision makers in the church, people that are either in a lay leadership position, maybe some of them are staff. Uh, We may pull on a pastor that has replanted in the area as well, uh, who can just help provide further counsel. We'll create a little team that's a discovery team for that church. And in doing so, we've got key stakeholders, key leaders that are in that church that typically wield a decent amount of influence uh, and reputation respect with the rest of the congregation. Uh, and we walk them through this process. So we'll start with, you know, the section, first section of the grid, and we'll pull all the stuff together for that section. We'll look at it and try to get a picture of that portrait, and then we'll move on to the next one. And so over a series of meetings, we've kind of unpacked the data as a team. And in doing so, if it's done well, you start to see some of the key leaders in the church getting a more accurate picture of where the church is and where the community around them is and whether or not they're close at all. That winds up being a real significant moment in the life of a church when that next circle of leadership sees it, not just the pastor that's wanting to change things. And so if you can bring them along through the process and shepherd them through that process, I find that's a better way to do discovery than just handing people an executive summary after you're done. One of the things that happens during a season like that or uh, uh, an effort like that is sometimes people will, will disagree with the findings, right? 
So you have debates. It's like, we are not who you say we are, right? <laughs> so what do you do? What do you do if you have a few people on the discovery team that, uh, or the people that you're presenting it to in those larger circles? Let's say you, you take it to the leadership group, church council, deacons, Sunday school teachers, whatever. How do you manage that when people don't believe the truth about themselves? Uh, that's a very realistic situation. We run into that one on a fairly regular basis. I would assume most people that are working with replans do. Uh, I think there's there's two different two different questions really nested in your one question. So I'm going to answer the easier one first. If you go to present this at a town hall meeting in the church or something to that effect, and there's some random person that's not been involved in this process that stands up and they're like, that's not who we are. The way we tend to get around that one most of the time, though, let me say there is no foolproof way that I have found. If somebody has that's listening to this, please email me and let me know what it is. But the way that we found is if that team takes ownership of it and that team is the one that presents it, that team has 10, 15, 20, 40 years worth of trust a lot of times with the other members of that church in a way that I don't as some outsider who's coming in and telling them something. So I often will take a back seat in those kind of meetings. If I've got a team that I feel is really able to present this information and I don't even want it coming from the pastor. I'd rather it come from those, you know, pillar members that have been there for a long time that are on the team. And they've said, you know, at first I felt X, but as we've looked at this folks, I'm really feeling Y. So that tends to help help in those moments. Now, if you've got somebody on that discovery team that just refuses to see it, yeah, in my instance, uh, in, my, in most instances where I've tried to deal with that, that just turns into kind of a frank confrontation, conflict resolution moment for me and the rest of the team. We just put it aside for a second and we try to get to what the real thing is there. Um, does everybody else on the team agree with the findings? Yes. Well, you don't. Can you talk to us about why you don't? And then we start trying to get to what and here's the secret to that one in my estimation. What's the real reason behind your disagreement right now? Because it's probably not the findings. There's probably mm-hmm. something else back there. And so if we can get to it, it's the feet of change. It's the, it's we're the ones that were the key founding members of this. And I know that there's certain things here we're going to have to let go of that they did, whatever it is, right? Or it may be parents are founding members of the church and whatever the program is that I'm looking at now, realizing we're going to have to let this go, that my parents were the ones that did that. Whatever the reason, yeah. if we can start to get behind whatever their surface level objections are to it, then you start to start to see some progress there. Yeah, I, I would encourage the pastor listening to this as you're considering leading your church through this process. I'd love to see those moments as a, this is my bias in almost any leadership moment in a church as a discipleship moment. Uh, and like you said, asking good questions and Hey, help me understand, you know, what, give me what are some actual reasons behind why you think that and you dig down and uh, and talk through those things it, it can be so important who would be some people you recommend not including on that discovery team man that's as good a question as the first one uh, concerning the discovery team right so um yeah uh people that don't need to be on that team oh man that list i think is much longer so first of all people who do not listen to this podcast do not need to be on that team. <laughs> very, good. very good yeah so we there's step one or you guys need yeah, to go, to, go. Uh, to the podcast and then after that come back to me and let me know if you want to be on this team so um there are and this is really where the pastor has to sit down i think and 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 think through the way I tend to answer this question is you want the team to be as diverse a representation of the different perspectives in a church 
Yeah, perspective is a good word. Dynamics, perspective. Dynamic, yeah. So you'll have little social circles with inside the church. Sometimes they're unhealthy cliques. Other times they're just different social circles. Uh, and so as, as much diverse representation to meet that as possible without finding the members of those factions that would want to derail a process or would want to just make sure that their faction won something, right? Every church has key stakeholders in it. Every church... I say every church, a good number of churches have some kind of matriarch or patriarch if they're in this kind of situation. And sometimes those people have the best interest of the church in mind. Very often they think they have the best interest of the church in mind, but really what they have is, well, they've really created an idol out of a particular model or method or structure of the church. And that's what they want to hang on to. And their goal is to stump for preservation of whatever that thing is they hold dear. Yeah, they become guardians of the yes. present and protectors of, of the past. That's a great right. way to put it, Bob. So, so, we, so we've seen this like in the consultations that we've done and so much so that, that there are times when we're, uh, we're involved in working with the church and we have a guardian or two on there. We have to almost say to them, or we do say to them in some ways, look, if, if you're not able to entertain ideas that are outside maybe your preference or your perspective and you feel like you're always battling you know, to, to protect something here while you're part of this team, this might not be the right spot for you. And yeah. one of the best things that you might do is just to step back and, and take a break from this team or step off of this team in order to, to give yourself a sense of peace and allow the work to proceed. You know, we, we, one thing, and I guess I would ask this, there, there's always the fear that doing discovery means that you're going to do something radical, right? So right. as you're working with a team, how how are some ways that you've communicated to the church that this doesn't mean X for you, but here's what we're seeking to do with this resource? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. Fear mitigation is a big piece of this on the front end for the congregation because you're right. There's all kinds of fears out there that, you know, I heard that such and such church did this in town. We're not going to have to do that, are we? Um, those questions and stuff come up and there is a whole lot of fear that surrounds and associated with that idea. So one of, there's a couple of things that I want to do. One, I, I try to be very clear when talking to initially the pastor and then I have the pastor loop in key leaders, deacons, whomever it is, that's going to be that next circle as we roll this idea out uh, in explanation. I want to be very clear about what a discovery process is. Discovery process is just essentially examination. It's looking at what is. Uh, we're not telling you how to fix it yet. We don't know how to fix it yet. We all need to reserve judgment. Even the guy that at the association regularly deals with replanting churches needs to reserve judgment until he's seen the unique situation you all are in. We're not here telling you what we're doing yet. And if you can communicate that clearly and tell people all we're doing this far in the game is really trying to come up with what a, a good recommendation would look like. Now, you all will have to agree on a recommendation later and you'll have to implement something or things will just stay the way they are. But for now, let's put a parenthesis in the life of your church. And in that parenthesis, we want to take some specific time and we want to look at just a snapshot of where you are and where your neighborhood is. And if we can figure those things out, we might be able to see some, you know, some important points or some important things that can help us figure out where to go from here. So trying to minimize at the start of the process, what their fear is, is going to happen at the end of the process. Like we're just starting a process of discovery here. You can pump the brakes on this if you want to later on. So that's one piece of it. The other piece, I think there's a, there's a moment here at the beginning of this where you can proactively 
call their attention to the beauty of the Great Commission. Call their attention to the beauty of the mission of the church and the, the divine, just the divine beauty of the gospel, the glory that it is, and the fact that their church has the potential and opportunity to participate in that. They may can look back at moments in the life of their church when, when they celebrate that they were a part of that. And if, if you can help them rekindle a love for the mission of the church, it starts to erode fear. That's great. Look, this is such a great resource out there, not only for replanters, but for anybody uh, that's leading in the church ministry to get a good understanding of. This is really just an introduction to it. It's a document you need to kind of download. We'll have it linked in the show notes and get a better understanding of what's actually happening there. Uh, If you have questions about it as you go, feel free to send those to us and then we'll just call Keelan and We'll get him to answer the question and send it. Yeah, I'm happy to. So, Keelan, how much money do you make off it every time somebody downloads this PDF? (laughs) Yeah, right. So, every time somebody downloads that PDF, zero dollars and zero cents go to feeding my family. That's awesome. Uh, Oh, that's good. (laughs) We're thinking about doubling that number. Okay. But. You know what? We'll we'll go ahead and call it triple. We'll we'll triple it. All right. If you, if you go through replant. I think I think every time uh, somebody downloads it, they should get a free coupon to the Brothers Taco Stand in oh. uh, downtown Houston. No kidding. Uh, if that were the case, I would regularly download it. No, there you go. That was that was a stellar stellar taco. Yes, it was. Hey, before we end this podcast, tell us two things, Keelan. One, what other resources would you recommend anyone consider to help them along this path? And then tell us a little bit about your website with the blog that you have that it's, you're constantly putting out stuff and it's all very well written, very helpful and also free and also doesn't help you feed your family. But it's some great free resources out there for pastors, church leaders, and replanters. So as we close, just any suggested resources and tell us about your website. Yeah, sure. So um, suggested resources. Uh, Man, on y'all's podcast, you guys are covering all kinds of great resources. And uh, so I'm I'm actually going to lean out of books and lean out of some of that kind of stuff. There's a growing list of it. I encourage you to dig into some of it and look for some of the places where you can find those resources. That said... The resource I'm going to suggest is picking out four or five third places that are in the neighborhood of your church and getting to know the shop owners, getting to know the regulars and, and like, think of that as a resource. Um, Use it as a way to take the pulse of your neighborhood and your community over time. Define third place real quick. Yeah, sure. So third place, here's what I mean by that idea, right? Uh, third place, so you've got your place. Your place is your home or your place is inside the church if we're talking about a congregation, right? Then there are those who may be in your community but are not part of your first place. They have their own first place as well. Their homes, their different places and spheres that they are. But a third place is a nice middle ground. It's not theirs, it's not yours. Or if it is theirs, it's one that's acceptable for you to be a part of. And so it becomes this space of meeting where you can have interactions and connections with those in your neighborhood, uh, in your community or your context uh, that aren't naturally walking the doors of your church, right? Uh, Find some of those places, mark them out, become regulars there. But here's the trick, get to actually know the people there. That's the thing. You can sit in a coffee shop all day long every day, but if you're just sitting there playing on your computer, trying to get work done on a sermon without actually engaging, you're not ever going to find out the narrative. 
and I really going to see what's going on out there. So the people in those places, I would say are an important resource. No, that's great. All right. Tell us a little bit about your website. Yeah, sure. So my website uh, was actually birthed out of, so I work, uh, I'm on faculty at Southeastern Seminary. And uh, when I was working in the Mission Center before I moved out here to Houston, we kind of developed that website. It's just, a, it's a keelancook.com. It's called the People's Next Door. And it really is about missional engagement. A big piece of what I work with there is thinking about cross-cultural missions in our neighborhoods, because there's a lot of people groups that now live around us. But in addition to that, it's stuff about church mission and vision. It's, it's hopefully some practical helps to think through how to have structures and these things like this four field or fourfold panorama document. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's some things there that you may find helpful. I encourage you to check it out if you get a chance. Excellent. Keelan, thanks for being on uh, this episode with us today. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I appreciate the opportunity. We always look at you enjoyed this episode. We'd love for you to share the episode with your friends or people that you think it would be helpful for them as well. Subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform that you enjoy listening to it on. And then if you can leave us a rating and or review, that actually helps us get the word out to others so that we can be a blessing to those as well. We always want to thank our sponsor, 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. And they've just launched two awesome new products to help church churches, church plants, replants. First one is called Launchpad. It's an all-in-one custom branding and website bundle developed specifically for church planters, replanters, and revitalizers who need to get things moving quickly. The second is Church Quick Site. It was created for churches working with tight budgets and can help them get an amazing new church website in as little as one week at a really affordable price. Check out 180.church. That's O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about these special new offerings and how 180 can help your church move forward.